1: Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me your host Chloe Timms. This week I'm talking to Katie Lumsden about her historical novel The Secrets of Hartwood Hall. Katie is a fiction editor who has an English literature and history degree from the University of Durham and an MA in creative writing from Bath Spa University. Her short stories have been shortlisted for the London Short Story Prize and the Bridgeport Prize, as well as being published in various literary magazines. She also has a successful booktube channel, Books and Things, covering all things gothic fiction. This episode is a really fascinating one. Katie had an agent for seven years. She wrote several different books in various genres that unfortunately failed to get a book deal. And she's also been a fiction editor for a Big Five publisher, so she's really seen things from the other side too. In this episode, we discuss all of that, as well as what it's like to play with gothic tropes, purposefully writing for the market, and whether a following on social media makes a difference in terms of book sales. But first, here's Katie with an excerpt from The Secrets of Hartwood Hall.
0: And now I was sitting in this carriage heading towards my new life. It felt as though I had never been anything but a governess, as though it had been only a few weeks since I left my last place. Three years of my life, vanished into thin air. Three years of my life, and nothing but widow's weeds to show for it. I thought of Richard, his dark eyes, his freckled face, his gaunt figure those last few weeks. I shut my eyes tight. Beyond the carriage windows, the weather was turning, The sky had darkened from blue to mottled grey. I reached into my skirt pocket for my watch, well, Richard's watch, though it was mine now, and saw that it was not yet seven o'clock. I heard a rumble of thunder, and the coachman outside uttered a curse. I had meant to think over future lessons in the carriage, to remind myself what a boy of ten might need to learn, but every time I tried to concentrate, I thought of Richard's face and my mind, balked. It was not my fault I was returning to work so soon. Everything else aside, I needed the money. I had spent the last four weeks in cramped lodgings, living off the sale of a necklace Richard had given me when we were first married. Even my mourning was reused. I had been forced to make the best of the black dresses I had worn when my mother died, darning here and there, turning out a seam, unplucking tighter threads at the waist. A bad start, perhaps, for a widow, it was not as though I had ever been a good wife.
1: Hi Katie, welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel The Secrets of Hartwood Hall.
0: Hi Kerry, it's very nice to be here.
1: So can you start us off Katie by introducing your novel to us and telling us what The Secrets of Hartwood Hall is all about?
0: Of course. So The Secrets of Heartwood Hall is a historical novel, a bit of a gothic historical novel. So it's set in the Victorian period in 1852 and it's about um, a governess who embarks on a new position at a big spooky country house um, and everything kind of goes on from there.
1: And I noticed that in your acknowledgements you've said that Jane Eyre was like this huge inspiration for you and you've kind of wanted your novels to be almost in conversation with each other so is that where the novel began life with with the genre first or was it kind of from another place?
0: Yeah probably I think from sort of the genre um, and sort of not just from gothic literature but sort of from Victorian literature as a whole. I'm a massive fan of Victorian literature and have been sort of since I was a young teenager. Um, I first read Jane Eyre and I was about 13 and I have always loved it um, and so I wanted to write a book which was kind of in conversation with Victorian literature and was sort of Bit of a love letter to all the victorian novels that i love but also kind of dissecting certain things about them or looking at them in a different way um and especially yeah jana and the tenant of arthur hall i feel like were sort of big influences on the secrets of heartwood hall um, and i had a lot of fun kind of playing with bronte tropes and sort of um tropes and themes from victorian gothic literature and sort of victorian sensation fiction too which was just a lot of fun i suppose
1: yeah but i also feel that you're and I, maybe you hinted out there that your novel is always is quite contemporary as well in certain things that you, you touch on and, and certain themes that you bring into it which I felt kind of gave it that edge you don't feel like you are reading a book that was written in uh, like the 1800s you do feel like you're reading a, a modern book with all the kind of things that people love about gothic literature embedded into it
0: yeah I mean I always think because so I love reading historical fiction set in the Victorian period but I also love Victorian literature and I read a lot of Victorian literature so for me if I'm reading a book a work of historical fiction set in the Victorian period. It has to be doing something that a book actually from the Victorian period couldn't do. Otherwise, why would I read that instead of a book actually from the Victorian period? So it's the same when I'm writing. I sort of, it's really fun to write a book set in the Victorian period and to play with Victorian themes and ideas and to write a book that, you know, um, is firmly set in a world and is authentically Victorian in the way that like, um, in the way that people sort of could have behaved, but also that has a different feel to it because, I, I wouldn't want to write a book that could have just been written in the Victorian period. Or I suppose maybe I would like to write a book that could have been written in the Victorian period, but would never have been allowed to be published in the Victorian period, I suppose. Yeah. Um, maybe it would be yeah. a better way of putting it,
1: yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. You're kind of being sub- subversive in a way. Um, yeah. You've been in publishing for years and you have some lovely childhood stories about your kind of love of writing and stories and storytelling. And I know that your kind of love that began when you were a small child so I'm wondering and I guess we're interested to know whether this is your first attempt at a novel or have you had you know have you got a drawer or a folder full of started novels um that you have so before? many
0: folders <laughs> so many folders yeah um yeah so it's definitely not the first novel that I have written I counted and it is the 13th novel that wow. I have finished
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> Some, but not for you
0: yeah exactly um and that is counting some of the books I wrote as a teenager which are sort of very bad um and I would never return to um but I've written a lot of other books I've been trying to get published for quite a long time um so I had a I signed with an agent sort of um must be seven years ago first um and I had a few books out of submission with sort of no success um and so on so yeah Heartwood Hall has definitely not been my first attempt um just my first one that sort of made it through I suppose yeah and I've sort of moved around in genre I was writing kind of different genres for a while before I sort of realized that historical fiction was where I wanted to be which I don't know why I didn't realize earlier because I love um the Victorians and find them fascinating um and I really enjoy writing things set in the Victorian period so it sort of feels like it's although it has taken me a while and there are lots of forgotten books in folders on my computer I feel like Cartwood Hall is a good was a good one to be the first one to get out into the world I suppose
1: Mm, absolutely I can really feel your passion for that kind of genre Mm. just through your writing and and the way you speak about it but what i mean i'm interested now i mean seven years you've been with your agent and obviously you face a lot of rejections and feeling like you're on the edge of being published and then having it almost pulled away from you what is that being like as an experience and how did you kind of keep going and coming up with new ideas when the, you know thought then you've written another book that then might not be published how how was that as an experience
0: yeah it's been a bit up and down and strange um, and it's been a bit of a bumpy road because I um, so I had one agent for quite a few years who then left the industry um sort of just after I'd finished writing *Heartwood Hall so I ended up then looking for a new agent um, which obviously worked out fine but you know um, felt a bit disruptive I suppose um, and I had yeah a few books out on submission that didn't get picked up um, which is disappointing. I think I sort of because I have been writing for a long time um, and you know wrote several books before I got an agent then wrote several books before I got a book deal so I've always just been like well it'll be the next book then it'll be the next book and I think I think working in publishing myself as an editor has been both like helpful and disheartening because of that because on the one hand um you know I've worked as a fiction editor um for lots of years and so especially in one job I had I was working at a publisher where we were taking on a lot of new debut authors and that was quite a weird experience sort of helping other people achieve my dream but also I was very excited that books are fantastic and I had a great fun working on the books but that was quite odd but I it also meant that working in publishing I did know that like so much of it is not if your book does not get published it doesn't mean your book wasn't any good it means it wasn't right for a list or for an editor or for a publisher it means it wasn't right for the market at that time it means that a publisher was looking for something else or the publisher had something similar on their list already like I I, as an editor, have read books on submission that are great that don't get published, and I know that that happens. So I think that was quite useful for always making me think, well, it's not that I am not ever going to be published. It's just the wrong book. I'll write the next book. I'll write the next book. I'll write the next book. I'll see what works. Um, because I did, I did, you know, I love writing and I really enjoy it. So I didn't want to stop, and I did believe that I. Could write some things that were good so if it was the wrong book then it was the wrong book and I would write another one um which is not to say it wasn't disheartening at certain points but I did yeah I guess you should write another book and try again um and hope that that works in the end
1: what do you think it was that was special about this book then I mean you said there's an element of right place right time and right book right right time but do you think there was something that made this book stand apart from the others that you'd written so I wrote, I wrote the
0: secrets of Hogwarts very like purposefully to be publishable, <laughs> um, which you know I think is not very artistic, maybe, but I think is fine. Um, and especially because I've been trying to get published for years, that was something that I was thinking about a lot. And actually, so so when I first started working in publishing, I worked in nonfiction, um, and when I was first out on submission with a couple of books, that was when I was working in nonfiction publishing. Then I moved to working into fiction publishing, and the secrets of Hogwarts was the first book I started writing. Like very soon after I started working in fiction publishing, um, back in sort of 2018, 2019, and I think that actually. I had a lot of knowledge of the market that I was getting, that I was sort of newly getting working in fiction that really, really helped me think, okay, what makes a book marketable? What is a hook? Because I remember my my first agent always used to say to me, Katie, this is a really fun book, but where's the hook? And I would be like, but what is a hook? I don't know. You can tell me, but I don't understand. And then I started working in fiction publishing. And I was like, oh, that's what a hook is. And I still can't articulate it. I don't think anyone can, which is the problem. Um, it's so hard. But but I feel like a lot of the stuff I used to I didn't fit into a clear box or I wouldn't have known you know how would you market it that kind of thing whereas with the secrets of heartwood hall when I started planning it and thinking about it I wanted I wanted to write a book where I I knew what box it would fit in if I were an editor in a publishing house I would know how to market it I would know how to publish it I would know what cover to give it I would know what the comps would be um and thinking that way really really helped me write a book which I thought could be sort of commercially viable and publishable um but then I say all that, but actually I had massive fun writing it and it um, kind of reflects on my interests and I, I love the Victorian period so much and I had so much fun exploring the Victorian period through it. So I guess it was a mixture of, in a way, maybe it was the book I wanted to write. Um, and actually some of the ideas I had been working on before then were sort of actually much older ideas. Um, some sort of the books I had out on submission in my sort of yeah, a few years ago, I'd actually sort of started work on them many, many years before that. So actually, Heartwood Hall was a really, really new, completely new idea that maybe reflected me more as I was starting to write it. Um, but also, I was kind of thinking a lot more about publishing um, and marketing and so on, which I don't think works for every author. Um, but I think because I had been trying to get published for a while, and I kept feeling like it's not the right book, I felt like if I thought a bit, if I tried to think more in terms of an editor I, with my editor brain on i suppose more than with my author brain on my writer brain on and um, then that sort of helped me create part at all i suppose
1: mm. it's so interesting isn't it because i'm sure there'll be people that are like they just couldn't do that at all and for them it's more of a you know just a creative artistic endeavor mm. and then there is an element that being realistic about it there is a certain point where your book moves from being yours and a piece of art to being a product and you do have to start thinking of what are my comp titles because of course if you want to go and get an agent or book deal then you've Mm. got to start thinking like you said about how is this going to be marketed where is it going to sit in the bookshop but what are what are the titles are are kind of speaking to each other around my book and and I think it's 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 fine to be that person that goes well I don't want I don't want to consider Mm -hmm. that you know that's not what I'm about but also I think it does no harm to to think about those things. And and certainly when I'm been writing my second book, I have been thinking, mm. what would my comic titles be? And who what you know, like you said, what's the hook gonna be? What's the what's the kind of wider conversation of this book? Um and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to think about that because your editor is going to be thinking about that. And yeah. the acquisitions, that those are gonna be the topics that are discussed. So I don't think it's a a bad idea for the author to be certainly aware of it whether it kind of yeah. if obviously if it impinges upon people's writing then maybe try and shut it out for a while yeah I
0: That's think it's did- a bad thing. I think it depends on the author a lot and for me I find it quite helpful sort of like pinning down what a book is about Um, because sort of as an editor I spend a lot of time like writing back cover copy Um, so now before I start writing a new novel I like write myself some back cover copy Um, because actually that's quite helpful for me to think okay so what is it about what's the thing that I would sell it on and actually that makes that's useful for sort of commerciality but it's also useful for writing it because then I know sort of what what's at the heart of the book I suppose or what I want to be the main thing about it I guess
1: yeah and I've heard that advice a lot like write the synopsis first yeah from there I think it is quite useful in pinning down that kind of the bigger question that your Mm -hmm. book is trying to deal with which I always find so difficult but anyway yeah uh, that's that's the whole issue um let's talk touch back on the secrets of Hartwood Hall because Mm -hmm. I'll I'll talk to you more about your kind of your journey and your your process later but I want to hear a bit more about the book first so Mm -hmm. Um, as you've mentioned, this novel deals with so many kind of favourite Gothic tropes of yours and this brilliant atmosphere that you've created to make a kind of slightly ghostly, mysterious place. Um, how did you combine this kind of atmosphere that is familiar to us in, in these kinds of novels alongside these these familiar tropes, but also make it kind of fresh and contemporary? How did you decide to kind of blend the two together?
0: I don't know I feel like a lot of the fun of writing something in an established genre like gothic that has a lot of tropes um is that you can play with them and especially because gothic tropes like some of them are a bit silly like actually it's really fun to mess around with those kind of tropes and it is really fun to try and turn them on their heads or do something different with them um, and write in response to them and especially sort of in sort of Victorian tropes because I, I read a lot of Victorian literature and I really love it and I'm very sort of immersed in it so that means it's kind of it's quite easy in my head to subvert it um, or to think about subverting it. And Victorian literature itself is like always subversive. All of the Victorian novelists are all subverting each other all the time. Um, and it's quite fun to sort of, for me, it's quite fun to sort of think about what different things I could do with a particular trope or what different things I could do um, within the space of a genre like Gothic. And, and Gothic is quite fun because it is, it can be a little bit silly, but it can also be a bit spooky. Um, so it's quite a good sort of vehicle for, telling a story if you have a mystery if you have something that feels a bit spooky going on um then I think that yeah gives you a lot to work with I suppose
1: Mm. yeah I can imagine the mystery element really helps and certainly Mm -hmm. I was kind of romping through your novel being like I need to know what's going on (laughs) I have to find out tell us about the newcomer to the story then Margaret she's your main character she comes to the house um wanting to kind of know what's going on but also carrying her own secrets as well. So how did you go about creating Margaret? And I wondered whether she changed a lot as you kind of edited your book and developed the story, or whether she kind of had quite you had quite a strong sense of who she was from the start.
0: I feel like I had quite a strong sense of who Margaret was from the start, less so the other characters, a lot of them changed a lot in the edits. Um Susan, especially was like a completely different person in the first draft. Um, but Margaret, I think, was a bit more stable. I think probably what did change a lot in the edits was sort of at what point, at what stage in the book you get to know things about Margaret, at what stage of the book you get to know things about her past and sort of her own secrets. Um, but I feel like she was always relatively stable as who she was. I think especially if you write a book in first person, um, once you kind of get into the voice of a character, it's a bit harder for them to change or they sort of become a bit more of a stable force in the book, I suppose. And I really enjoyed writing her. I found her a really interesting character to write. And I wanted to write about, because I find Victorian history um, as sort of the position of women in Victorian period so interesting, I wanted to write about Margaret, who is this 29-year-old woman. She is um, a governess, but she's also a widow. Um, she's been married for three years and her husband has died and she's gone back to work as a governess. Um, so she has this sort of unusual position within Victorian society because she's a governess, which already means she's sort of a little bit outside of the class hierarchy. She's not upper class but she's not a servant she's in this house but she doesn't really belong with sort of either the family or the servants and then also she is a widow which um was a sort of uneasy social position within the victorian period because um within the victorian period sort of the the ideal for women was supposed to be marriage you know you were supposed to get married and have children and that was what you were supposed to do um, especially as a middle class woman um which margaret is that was meant to be the priority and focus of your life so effectively you were you were a wife, or you were waiting to be a wife. So, someone who had been married and whose husband had died um, sat in a sort of uneasy social position. And the Victorians were uncomfortable with widows um, who were often more financially and socially independent than women who hadn't been married, um, were sexually experienced, um, but not in a relationship, like not in a in a marriage, um, which the Victorians didn't really like. So, Margaret comes to this house, but she's also she's a sort of outsider to the house but also um she sort of exists a little bit outside the structure of Victorian society which I had a lot of fun writing about and a lot of her sort of character arc is about her um coming to terms with her marriage which was not very happy and sort of reflecting on the last few years of her life um, and how she's changed which I just yeah found really interesting to write about I suppose
1: Mm. So one of the things that Margaret keeps herself busy with, shall we say, is uh, the Gardener Paul. And uh, they had some very sexy liaisons. And I'm going to out myself now as a big fan of Paul, (laughs) mainly because I was picturing Paul Mescal. Can you tell us why you had this kind of subplot for Margaret? Obviously, you've got the the main mystery element. But what did this uh, relationship give to Margaret in 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 the novel?
0: I think there's a few things. I think um, some of the themes that are kind of quite important in the novel are things to do with sort of class and gender and power. Um, And I feel like Paul and Margaret's relationship helps me look at those themes and explore those themes Um, because they have a sort of complicated power dynamic between them. And Margaret is a few years older than him. Um, She is also middle-class. He is working class. She is sort of officially above him in the house, but he's also been at Hartwood Hall a lot longer than her. Um, He knows, like... He's much more familiar with the house. He knows everyone much better. Um, and, you know, within the Victorian society that he is in, being a man does kind of change their posi- their sort of position towards each other. So I wanted to kind of use their relationship to look at those themes. Um, but I also wanted to look to use their relationship to look at sort of the way that Margaret gets over her marriage um, and, so- and tries and um, sort of learns new things about relationships and about herself um through Paul um and I found him a really interesting character to write as well and actually he probably changed more over the writing of the book than Margaret did um I spent quite a lot of time like trying to get his character right and I like wrote a long short story like from his perspective to try and like get in his head more and make sure I knew sort of what he was thinking and feeling throughout the novel which I found sort of very useful to do um so I guess yeah I guess there's quite a few different like things that that sort of subplot serves I guess mm.
1: When it comes to the mystery side, and I guess this is more of a a plotting question, how do you decide how you kind of place the secrets and the uncovering of them? Because I guess you, you know, it's not just like there's just one mystery um, in the house. How did you kind of decide where they are all going to fit in? And did you have all the, did you know all the kind of mysteries when you started? Or were there some that kind of came to you later on as you were writing?
0: So I had like the twist and everything and the mysteries all in my head from from the beginning, from when I started writing and I sort of knew what was going on. Um, yeah, but then I, I changed a few things as I went along and there was sort of one thing about how the twists kind of worked or like how the ending worked that I slightly, that I changed like fairly late on down the line, like after I had signed with my new agent but before the book had gone out on submission I suddenly changed something like relatively dramatic about the ending. Um, but I did kind of have all the twists and turns and mysteries in my head um from the beginning but definitely in the editorial process um in editing sort of on my own with my agents with um the editors as well like where things were revealed um and what happens when it moved around a lot like the whole like middle section of the book just like changed order all the time um which I definitely yeah I, I find pacing and plotting quite tricky that's probably the thing I find sort of hardest um in writing a book so I feel like, yeah. When things were revealed, probably did move around a lot, and probably took a lot of like trial and error, I guess.
1: Yeah, I noticed you. I think it might have been in your acknowledgements that you or an interview that you gave that you're a big fan. You were a big fan of the uh Pop Stormers course by mm-hmm. Writers HQ, which I also love. I think their their um site is amazing. They have some brilliant. Yeah, it's really good. Um. So. I took from that that you're a big planner but maybe it's because you find the kind of planning side of it difficult that you lean towards trying to plan it out is that is that am I right on the right track there
0: So so I like I like planning and I always have a plan before I begin but usually then I, what, what I tend to do more of being, more than being a planner, I am like an editor at heart. So I write a first draft quite quickly, and then I change the order of everything and tear it apart. And then I do that about 10 times, and then maybe I'll be happy with the book. That's how it usually goes. So um, I wanted, often I would, yeah, I wanted for Heartwood Hall, because as I said earlier, I was trying, I wanted to really consciously think about like making it a, a commercially viable book. Um, and the two books I'd had on submission previously, the kind of feedback I'd got had been, we love your writing, it's very quiet. Mm. There's not enough plots, not enough happening, which was kind of true. So um, so I thought when I started writing Heartwood Hall, I thought, okay, I'll look for something like the Plotstormers course, which I then did um to help me sort of pace and plot the book. Um so I did the plotstormers course, which was really, really helpful. The plot is in the end quite different from the initial plot that I plotted out with plotstormers, but the first draft I did use the plot I created through um writers HQ plotstormers, which was really, really helpful, um, and definitely like made a big difference to making sure there were events of significance happening, even if I then kind of changed the order a bit on the editorial process. And actually, I feel like Plotstormers and that kind of... Plotstormers was very good for like the main plot and then actually subplots, sort of some of them came on my second or third draft. Um, But yeah, in general, I find like, once I've got a first draft, I feel much happier, even if I'm going to completely change every word. Once I have something to work with, I feel like I know what I'm doing much more.
1: So you don't mind then having to write that kind of horrible first draft where you know it's a complete mess because your favorite part is going back and editing it and polishing it and making it yeah. Better.
0: I like that. I am I'm trying now to write more slowly and thinking think about it more because I feel like actually, in my when i when I was previously um as I said, writing lots of novels to see which worked, um then it made sense to write a very quick first draft. and sometimes after the first draft, it'd be like, no. I'll just leave this one and sometimes I would rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it and so now that I'm like oh well actually you know I have a I have a book that I that I need to write um for a deadline so I'm trying to be a bit more sort of yeah trying trying less to do the messy first draft thing and more to think things through on the first draft more um but I feel like that isn't as natural to me (laughs) I feel I still want to sort of write a very quick first draft and sort it out afterwards but we'll see.
1: So what was it like for you then as an editor to work with other editors on your book? I mean, I know you're used to working kind of in collaboration with different people in your day job, but what was it like when it was your book that was being edited?
0: Mostly fine, like mostly really good. Um, The feedback was really helpful. I think also because actually as a writer, you do have so many like things that you can't see about your own work, um, which you just, you just can't see in your own work because it's yours. So having an editor, help you with that um and see the things that you can't see it's very very helpful especially because as an author there's so much stuff you know that's in your head that you understand you know why a character's doing something or you know what they don't know um and especially in a book like the secrets of heart where there are lots of secrets if you know all the secrets it's really hard to know what the reader is and isn't getting Mm -hmm. um on the page so actually having editors is just very 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 valuable um And I mean, yeah, I feel like I just agreed with pretty much everything that I was given. Um, And I think in general, most editors are, like, my sort of policy um, as an editor and as a writer is that if an editor says there is a problem, there's probably a problem. The solution they give you might not be the only solution, though. So if you don't like the solution, there will be another solution. But if they say there's a problem, there probably is a problem. Um, So that's sort of my policy as a writer, I suppose. Um, and it's something I think about a lot as an editor too, you know, if there is something that's really bugging you as an editor, then it probably isn't working, but there might be 17 different ways that you could fix that. And the author has to see what is the right way to fix it for them to keep it still being the book, the book they want it to be in the book. It is, um, the, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed working with editors. Um, yeah. And it is nice being edited from the other side because I really love working as an editor as well. Um, but I, I fi- to a certain extent, I can apply my editor brain to my own work, but there are certain things which I just can't see, which I do need
1: more eyes for. I often think that I can see it and I know what the problem is, but I need someone to go. This is a problem. <laughs> Before, yeah, I can... yeah, oh yeah. I've I've tried to hide it. I've put some sellotape on it and <laughs> it the best, but yeah. it hasn't worked. Um, and normally, I think often, I think. When you're being edited you you know what the problem is or you know there's a problem with something but you just sort of hope you've you've kind of you yeah. know bodged it enough that they're not going to notice but editors are amazing and they notice every kind of bit where you've yeah. tried to smooth things over and think that'll do that'll be fine and it's yeah. not fine <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So you also have a booktube channel called books and things which i will link in the show notes because i think there's some great videos on there particularly if you're interested in the kind of um, publishing journey from signing the contract to being published that that you filmed along um, alongside what was happening in your life um, and you also obviously talk about the books that you love as well do you think having that kind of platform already has helped you have more confidence in speaking about your book and your writing and your work and do you kind of buy into this idea that it's been helpful for you because you've had, you have kind of like a existing audience or following already. Cause I know that's something that authors, particularly when they're starting out, really worry about, you know, Mm. should I have um, TikTok? Should I have Twitter? Should I have whatever? Um, What, what has that been like for you? Has it made a difference or you, you, you don't think it has?
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
1: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: I think it has made a bit of a difference. I think, um, but not a massive one. I think in general for authors who worry about for aspiring authors, who worry about social media presence and that kind of thing, it's never going to be, unless you have like 17 million followers, It's not, it's never going to be the be all and end all. It's always just going to be a nice bonus. If you have a nice following somewhere, that's a nice bonus, but it's never going to, it's never going to be the issue. Like it is, it's always just an added bonus. It's never actually something that really makes a bigger difference. And to be honest, I think social media can make a bit of a difference in book sales, but it's not, it's not that big a difference. Um, there are a lot of other things going on, um, that make books sell, um, and it can't all be done just on your following somewhere or anything like that. Um, I think actually the the way that booktube has probably been the most useful for me is that like working as an editor, it's given me a really like big familiarity with the markets. Um, and I've been doing my booktube channel for sort of eight years Um, I love it and I read a lot of books and I read more books because of it properly. Um, it's very hard to tell because I've been doing it for so long now, but um I read a lot. I review a lot of books on it. I watch a lot of other booktubers who talk about books. So my familiarity with sort of the market and other books out there has definitely been increased by booktube. And I also think if you, in a say, again, a bit like workers' editor, if you review books, then you do think about what worked in a book for you. um, And thinking about... The books I read and why I did or didn't like them and what worked for me and what didn't like all of that stuff actually does help with writing um so there's probably been a lot of things that booktube have helped me with sort of un- like beneath the surface I suppose um and it probably has increased my confidence um I definitely it has increased my confidence like in general but again I've been doing it for such a long time um I started doing it when I was quite young so I find it quite hard to tell what is general growing up and what is booktube helping me with my confidence it probably does help me you know, I think podcasts and and that kind of thing um, don't feel that unfamiliar to me. Um, Although I talk very quickly and I usually digitally slow myself down on BookTube, which I can't do when I'm, um, if I go to a literary festival or if I'm on a podcast. So it's a few things like that where I have to remember um, that I'm not always making my own video. Um, But yeah, I think BookTube probably has helped beneath the surface, but in terms of actual like following and that kind of thing, there are some people who watch my BookTube channel who have read my book because of that but uh, you know it, it's not it's not that bigger it doesn't make that big a difference in the end of the day um I think it's been it's felt like there is a really supportive community around me um especially from other booktubers but also from people who watch my channel who have been really excited about the book that has made a really big difference like emotionally and that's been really really nice to have um and lots of people on booktube have been reading the book and when I had my book launch quite a few other booktubers sort of came along and supported me which was really really nice um, so I feel like it's been a really lovely added bonus, but like aspiring authors shouldn't worry about their social media presence. I just don't think that that is, it's always an added bonus, but that's not like what publishers are really looking for. <laughs> it's all about the book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure because you've worked as an editor for so long and you've got this amazing insight into, you know, what goes into a book and, and what's important and what's not. Um, I was wondering if you have any kind of practical or emotional advice for anyone who but for anyone who is about to sign a contract or about to be published what do you think um what do you think it's important they understand about the process of of being published that maybe isn't made so obvious when when you're kind of new to it all
0: I think one thing maybe um is that like I feel like especially um if you're an author and it's been taking you a while to get published and you finally get a book deal, it feels like the end, like milestone achieved, mission complete. Like you been working for a really long time and you have a book deal and it's fantastic and it's the best thing ever. Um, and it is, but also it's not the end. It is the beginning of like a career which is going to be up and down and difficult um, and it's very, very competitive to get a book published. But once your book is published, that is also very competitive to get sales, to get another book deal, all of that stuff. So I think maybe the thing that is useful but scary to know is that like it's just the beginning of the next stage um which I think I am is something I have thought about a lot and that I'm finding kind of useful to think about because I think especially because I was trying to get published for such a long time when I got my book deal I was like well that's you know done Um, which I don't think I really thought and I've worked in publishing enough that I know that that isn't how the publishing industry works and I know there are a lot of hurdles and that things are difficult and that the market is very competitive and affected by you know lots of things you know the pandemic had a massive effect on um the market and um cost of living crisis and all of this stuff affects books and how books work you cannot just magically sell a ton of books but i think yeah i think maybe it's important to kind of like go into having a book deal with a healthy dose of like let's see how this goes this is the beginning of another exciting thing but it's not necessarily like the end of the road yeah Is that helpful? Maybe that's just a bit dispiriting. I don't know. Um, And also I think to remember that it is also a job because I think it's such a hard balance um, because, you know, for a lot of, a lot of us who have been writing for a long time and who love writing and if it goes from being your hobby to being something that you are paid for and whether that is a small section of your income or a larger section of your income um, and whether you're still doing a day job or whatever else you're doing, it's, to go from this is my hobby to I have a commitment and it's now professional and the people I'm working with are professionals and it's their job and it's my dream, but it's their job. That is that is quite a sort of strange relationship, um, which is something I always, I've always i always found working as an editor. Um, I'm freelance now, but when I was in-house and working with authors, it is very strange when you're all the team working on this project together, but for some of you it is your day job and for one of you it is your life's passion. So I think approaching a book deal as a new job is maybe which is a bit scary but also very exciting is maybe a good way to kind of think about it I don't know
1: was there anything that was surprising for you because I know you know it inside out but was there anything that took you by surprise or maybe you weren't expecting in the whole kind of publishing experience um maybe not so much the kind of the post-publication part but was there anything for you that was unusual or, or challenging during that kind of moment from when you signed your contract to when it was published
0: i mean i think a lot of it is on the one hand i've worked as an editor a lot and i sort of know the process but also every publisher is really different um so even just simple things like i have spent a lot of my life briefing copy editors and i work now as a freelance copy editor um And when my book was being copy edited, the copy editor was in touch with me directly. And I've never worked at a publisher where the copy editor is in touch with authors directly. I've always, the copy editor has always gone like through the editor. So even just that kind of small thing where I was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't how I thought the process was, um, which was fine and worked really well. But like, it's even just things like that where every publisher works differently. Um, And I've, and my book's been published in the US as well. And I know, you know, US publishing is a bit different and I don't really know, much about the US market. I don't understand that in the way that I do the UK market. So that was different. So actually, in a way, I thought there wouldn't be any surprises. And sort of everything has been quite surprising. Um, and it's just it's very different doing it from the author side in comparison to being in house. And it's weird sort of the the level of information you do and don't have um, when you're used to as an editor, being in all the meetings and um, like, you know, being able to just like look up your sales figures on a spreadsheet or whatever. And um, when you're like, in in in-house as an editor working on a book there are certain there's certain bits of information that you have which as an author you don't have on your own book which which is a bit strange um but kind of makes sense so yeah so I suppose in some ways it has been more surprising than I thought um yeah
1: you found that kind of loss of
0: control I guess
1: difficult or 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 not you didn't mind not knowing things
0: yeah I do think most of the time I mind it's just a bit different I suppose and just kind of getting into different mindset and remembering sometimes that I'm the author not just like another person in the team working on this book that we're publishing together (laughs) like like adjusting to a new role in the team I suppose
1: um yeah do you think there was a pressure on you because you work in the industry to have a certain success or sell a certain number of of books do you feel like because you're already in that industry and you kind of know a lot of people that working books that you felt a pressure to to be at a certain level or did you not feel that
0: not like from anyone except from maybe myself mm. the the fact that I'm like if a former colleague of mine wanted to look up my sales figures on Nielsen they could that's a slightly odd thought um but like most of the time that doesn't you know I don't I imagine anyone would actually bother um so yeah not not really like a I suppose I like probably I would have a having worked in the industry i probably have a clearer sense of like what figures i would have been happy with as an editor which is not the same thing and it's very different for every author and genres and authors and you know strategies and everything is is very very it, it just varies massively between books which i know myself but i guess yeah there's a certain amount of like extra knowledge i have which is disconcerting um but sometimes it's useful so i don't know i don't know
1: i guess it helps there are a lot of Editors who become authors, or people who work in publishing, that basically yeah. everyone loves books and they love writing, that gravitate towards those jobs and then end up having a a career as a writer on the yeah. side that becomes their full time job. So it's not like you're the only one that has to kind of go through that anxiety of yeah going to be I don't know judging you for for what you've what you've <laughs> sold or anything like that.
0: Yeah, there's quite a lot of editors turned authors, I think partly because um, the skills you need to edit a book and to write a book, there's, it's like a big Venn diagram, there's a lot of crossover there, um, and if you love books, then, you know, I, I like work as an editor because I love books, and I like writing books because I love books, and you know, it all kind of comes together, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so on the subject of books, finally, Katie, can you tell us, give us a little tease about what you're writing next?
0: I'm working on a second book now, which is also set in the Victorian periods, which is my favourite time period, um, but it's very, very different from Hartwood Hall. Um, so very different in tone, nothing gothic about it. Um, and where Hartwood Hall was a sort of claustrophobic story about very few people, um, the new novel has lots of different characters, lots of different perspectives, um, very different feel to it. So I think that's all I'm going to say, but I'm, re- I'm really enjoying writing it and it's been really fun to write something that is very different in style um to Hartwood hall um it feels it feels very different which is really nice i think for me and it's a much it's actually a much older idea and project so that's like like these characters for my second book have been living in my head for a lot longer than the characters in Hartwood hall um which is kind of nice as well i guess
1: Mm. and a fun challenge i imagine to kind of write multiple perspectives when your first book was first person and yeah in all these different characters as well, but um, it sounds really interesting, Katie, and I'm excited to read it when it comes out. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, it's been great. Thanks for having me. That was Katie Lumsden talking about her historical novel, The Secrets of Heartwood Hall, which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors, and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop and if you can I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or if you've subscribed already it would be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time!